Hello, hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex and for once I'm not actually joined by Bruno. I'm joined by Tucky. It's been a while. Um, hello, 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 hello. Good to have you back. And I say back for a reason. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, um, it will kind of be out of sync with the timetable because Tucky actually made his pod debut a while back, but we never released the episode. Um, it was sort of after the Newcastle Carabao Cup game and Forest right before the World Cup. So we had a lot of talk about um, not just those two games in detail before the World Cup break, but also our plans around the World Cup and what we're going to do. And then, as I'm sure your listeners are aware, life got in the way for all of us, frankly. Um, it was a mixture of good and bad. I won't go into detail, but basically we weren't able to get that out. And um, as I said in the last episode, we're really committed now to going back on schedule and uh, making a good thing of this. Um, Taki smashed it, and I'll be releasing that episode ASAP. We're just finalising the editorial touches to it, and we'll be good to get that out. So expect plenty more content alongside the usual schedule on the way. We will absolutely be releasing that still. Um, as I say, Tucky smashed it. He's always coming through with great insights, passion, real fan voice, and that's what we're all about here. So yeah, really excited to get that one out as soon as possible. But nonetheless, it's great to have you here. Um, I'll jump straight into it. Um, unfortunately, my Wi-Fi decided to cut out at a really convenient time, so I'm actually not even using notes for this one. So it's going to be a very much a kind of bigger picture episode, quite free-flowing. Um, but I will get straight into the games. We're obviously coming in at a dense fixture period. Um, very much a mixed bag for Palace. We obviously had the Fulham game broken down in detail last time, um, and then sandwiched between that and a really, really harsh like trouncing in the second half by Spurs 4-0 at home, we had a 2-0 win over Bournemouth, and a fairly comfortable one at that. Um, I'm going to look at that in some detail, and I always think that it's good to praise Palace when they deserve it. Um, it's not something we often do as fans generally, um, but I'm really a big fan of uh, how we played overall. Um, definitely niggling aspects in our game that we need to iron out, but it was a very kind of anomalous sort of game for Palace. Um, I'll start with going into the game. Um, we're quite used to this fluid front four, and obviously we had to deal with Tyrick Mitchell's suspension, so we have uh, Ward at left back and Klein at right back, kind of strange fullback pairing of two experienced sort of right backs playing on either side, and then this kind of dynamic kind of front four that we're used to of Ayu, Zaha, and Elise with a lot of rotation around them. Um, I mean, Tucky, going into this game, what were your expectations? I mean, Bournemouth obviously were sort of in a very erratic patch of form and aren't really tipped to be a, um, anything other than relegation fodder, really. They're going to be right in the thick of it. So what did you really expect coming into this game and having seen the lineup? I think, yeah, out of honesty, I was probably a bit pessimistic. I think just, rough, just recently we've had a bit of a rough time with it. I think, um, as I explained in the episode that didn't go out, I think it's just inconsistencies in lineups and stuff like that. And him, obviously, you know, we came into the game with the same lineup that he'd used in the two previous games, and we lost those games. And it was just a bit like, I don't really know what he's trying to do here, but obviously at the end of the game, we won 2-0, happy days. But it's just... It seems like he's trying to prove something and just all that seeing the same lineup and it it just didn't have any like positive, like I didn't have any positive thoughts about the game. But look, we're, we're Palace fans. It's natural to think negative. No, completely. Um, we're used to the ups and downs as fans, aren't we? I mean, continuity is a strange thing for this club. I mean, I think Roy Hodgson being in for as long as he did was probably the only continuity we've had for the last 10 years or so since Parrish came in and, and, and we got saved from administration. I mean, you know, it's it's definitely unusual. And I, I think, you know, this whole, this whole, I mean, it's obviously a much smaller level than the managerial, but this whole, um, this whole system that Vieira seems to be going with is one that he's really stuck to for some time. Um, he's very much someone that <sighs> seems to have loyalty to players that are kind of good and bad, who seem to be in erratic patches of form and, you know, it's hard to see a kind of logic to this other than he always seems to have a bedded system that he doesn't want to detract from. Um, did you feel that stability was something that we really needed coming into this, or do you think it was the right time to shake things up? Uh, I think when you look at the last two results, like, personally, I thought the performances were poor in it, so I thought it was probably a game where, you know, it's a way to Bournemouth, three points is there. Um you know, it's basically a 50-50 coin flip the game. So I think personally I would have shook things up. But, you know, he stuck with the team and we got three points. So at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But Yeah, I mean, obviously it really bucked a lot of the trends in terms of what we saw. I mean, 
not least Jordan Ayew getting on the score sheet. That was a huge one. But um, sort of yeah. bantering about him aside, I mean, it, it was something that, I mean, it caused a lot of grumbles and moans among Palace fans, a lot of consternation as to whether that was actually going to be the right move to go with that front four. Um, but it paid dividends. I mean, it was certainly a, a threatening front four. And obviously, um, we had Eduard Mateta coming off the bench later in the game, who again, threatened to break at times. You know, it was encouraging in a lot of aspects. But I mean, we'll look at those goals in detail because it's very rare that Palace seem to score in the first half, let alone to do so convincingly and both from set pieces. Um, you know, Michael Elise implored it, and rightly so for his two assists because he um, seems to have held down recently a, a really strong go at those corners and, you know, he, he carried them off to perfection. Um, Vieira, interestingly, after the game, spoke about how it was actually goalkeeper uh, Dean Kiley's idea to try out these new routines and, and it seems like it paid the real dividends in terms of those goals um, you know for the first goal it's pretty straightforward Ayu was able to wrestle free and find space um, Elise whipped it in with a plum of perfection um, and it was a fairly simple header to be stroked home in the end so you know obviously that took a lot of finishing it was a great um, it was a great move for him to break away from his marker like that and then I mean Eze I mean it's kind of like it's like the Paul Scholes kick isn't it but uh, sort of lower towards the ground um you know, Elise finds him first time from a corner, there's sort of a slight bounce, and then he hits it first time, and it just sails into the far corner. Um, you know, it was obviously two really well-worked pieces there, and it's very rare that Palace seem to be comfortable on set pieces like that, let alone to follow it up again. So, I mean, how do you think set pieces have evolved as the season's gone on? Because obviously, we had issues in the past conceding from them, and certainly struggled to score from them too, but... You know, I'm thinking about Yael Anderson against Man City, for instance. You know, there are even moments earlier in the season where it's becoming more apparent that there's been some progress, at least on an offensive sense, right? I think, yeah, I think there is there is a progression. You know, we saw um, in the Tottenham game, which we'll go on to, there were things that we were even trying then. So there is there is a slow progression. I think it was just that we're trying to find some sort of stability with set pieces because whether it's zonal marking or man marking, we at times we switch between the two and I don't think something clicks. And against Bournemouth... There were just certain routines that you know you just try them. You, it when you're at you know when you're at the bottom and you're hopeless, you scrape together and you just try to do whatever you can, can't you? So and and that's what we did. We tr- we come up with with a set piece and obviously as they finished it beautifully, and uh, it's something that we don't see enough at Palace. I think I think we're very um, we're we're boring with set pieces. We very rarely do something that's a bit oh okay well at least you tried it if you get what yeah, I mean yeah no no we, we need to take risks in that department it makes sense yeah I found it really interesting that Vieira mentioned Dean Kiley actually and how there was this kind of new impetus from him um, I'm not saying that it's, it's just from him generally I mean I'm sure all the coaching staff are constantly coming up with new ideas you know they're not just kind of sitting there and ignoring these problems you know with all due respect to us as a podcast no. if we can spot these problems and the average fan can spot these podcasts but then of course they're working on it yeah um, but nonetheless I think it was great that um even just in the behind the scenes, we're seeing this kind of evidence being brought to the fore of um, new ideas being constantly worked on and actually coming off. I think it was really encouraging to see and, you know, long may that live because it's, it's definitely a, a new avenue to our game that we can exploit. And, you know, any edge like that is obviously a welcome one. Um, there were plenty of flashpoints throughout the game, but obviously the goals did stand out. But on the whole, it was a fairly offensive performance, as fans will be well aware. I mean, there was plenty of chances to break. Um, you know, Palace really threatened. Zaha actually had quite a few chances saved and he was unlucky himself not to be on the score sheet. Um, he was surprisingly quiet against the opposition, actually, and in, certainly in relation to his fellow attackers, which was quite unusual. And even he had a fairly good game. So, you know, it was quite hard to, uh, to fault in a lot of senses and obviously a clean sheet on the road. Uh, but currently, if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure that's the first of the season as well, which is something that is good to see. Um, you know, we've been a bit more erratic in terms of our form and it's quite hard to know where we're standing in terms of that consistency. Um, that's a raw word indeed you're going to hear on this whole episode, frankly, because I think consistency is something that um, is really hard to find for us at the moment. Um, but yeah, it was a really important three points. And I think going into the Spurs game, it kept us, you know, within a whisker even of teams like Brighton, as much as I hate to admit, who have had a good season, you know. Um, it really keeps us sort of on comfortably within mid-table and probably looking up, frankly. So, you know, it came at a good time, really. Um Particularly after the Fulham game, we needed a response and, you know, that couldn't be more clear. And we discussed on the last episode how it was only really Villa this uh, season um, at home, of course, where we really looked dominant, played brilliantly and got the three points we deserved. Um, It's never really been as easy for us this season. And there were so many wins, even where we looked shaky, where it was kind of 
fluky or resting on the wrong things, so there was always going to be a problem. Um, what did you make sort of... I mean, the fact that we had 59... Sorry, that Bournemouth, I should add, had 59% possession was obviously something that was a bit unusual, and um, we were certainly under the cost for periods where they were threatening. Um, what did you make of that? I mean, is, it, is there something to be said for how, you know, we didn't quite enjoy the ball and yet we're still able to take full advantage of our moments? I think, you know, Palace without the ball is very typical Palace, isn't it? You know, we're, in our roots, we're a counter-attacking team. We've got the players that suit a counter-attacking style of football. And Bournemouth, we counter-attacked we counter very well. And, you know, we've got players that can break away when, you know, just when they take that chance, when they put a bit of risk into things. And I think against Bournemouth, we did. I don't think necessarily, you know... We just, we, we look good and it, it was good to look at and it was good to enjoy. You know, Bournemouth aren't the greatest football team in the world, but you can only play what's in front of you. And there's 20 teams in the league and you have to play 19 of them. So, yeah, I thought we looked very good. I, I quite liked, if, if I'm honest, playing counter-attacking, but I think it's just reminiscent uh, over the last, what, like 10 years in the Prem and that sort of thing. And yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was certainly an enjoyable display. I just think the manner in which we did it was unusual. And, you know, we've always tried yeah. to be a possession-based team. I think that's been clear from the start. Um, certainly our better performances have normally shown that too. But um, I think we were more content to sort of ride the waves, particularly as the game went on. And um, I think it became clear that they were more keen to throw attacking players forward. Um, you know, they played a sort of five at the back with wing-backs that tried to play quite offensively, but ended up getting exploited at times. And... Um, you know, it wasn't really a kind of performance where I felt um, nervous or uncomfortable or like we were on the verge of conceding, even when, you know, the punches were being thrown at us. Um, it was quite assured. And I think, you know, we have to give credit where it's due to the team for that. They were very organised in the way they went about their business. And like I say, I think the goals were the, were the pinnacle of that. But, you know, it's, it's so hard to kind of look at the bottom of game without looking at what comes next. And I don't want to segue there just yet because I think, you know, we have to, like I say, focus on and give it due attention because it's not every day that we do get a performance like that. Um, there's so much to pick out and it's so kind of, it's so bucks the trend in terms of what we've been seeing this season. Um, and I think I'm going to go back to that consistency word because it's been such a, uh, such a problem that we never really had under um, Vieira in the last season. Um, I think moving on to that, I think Spurs was always going to be an interesting game to really look at. Um, and obviously, when you have a side that, you know, in all departments looked fairly strong, um, it was always going to be hard to then change that. So naturally, Palace going with an unchanged lineup, um, with the likes of Tariq Mitchell still continually suspended. Um, was that the right call from Vieira? Um, I think the thing is, is that, you know, we'll go into it more, but you can't change a winning side, can you? You know, even if they'd lost the two games before, I think it, it consistency, as we said, is something that we've lacked throughout all departments during the season. So I think it was good to at least back the, right, let's try and keep this consistent. But personally, do I think it's the, be the, the best team that we could have played against Tottenham? No. But, you know, every other Palace fan listening to this would probably say the same thing. But no, I think Vieira had to be consistent with his lineup and had to play the same team that, you know, had beaten Bournemouth. No, absolutely. I mean, it was always going to be hard to justify changes, however much we, we thought they might be deserved. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's worth saying that Matt Wisdom of The Athletic confirmed that um, Eduardo Matata still aren't quite match fit yet. They're still not fully sharp. Um, they're good enough to feature, but obviously I think it's going to be... Uh, a little while yet before they're eased fully back in. So I think that kind of answers a lot of questions that fans really had about why we're sticking with a front four that doesn't really contain an out-and-out -out striker anymore. Um, obviously, Ayu and Zaha have played there, but they're kind of makeshift at this point. You know, they're more accustomed to playing as wingers. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think other than that, I mean, even Schlupp, who I think we've, we've been fairly critical of on this pod for his, his, his sort of seemingly, like, his seeming loss of work rate and his yeah. seeming lack of um, ability to get forward and progress play. Um, you know, we've obviously been clamouring, and I think a lot of fans have for the likes of Houston and, and, and so on to come back into the team who are perhaps more accustomed to that style of play. But, you know, even he had a fairly decent game against Bournemouth and, you know, no one's perfect, but nonetheless, you know, he did his job fairly well. And um, I think it was always going to be a, a lineup that was going to raise a few eyebrows considering it was never a popular one. And yet you have to argue there's a rationale there. I'm um, looking at Spurs. I mean, obviously they have been far from consistent themselves this season and it was quite hard to know which one was going to turn up and again for quite a while in that game it looked like as though 
we were actually the better team. Um, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a particularly bright opening few minutes, but then it quickly evolved into particularly in that second half, the second half of the first half, if you like, a kind of second quarter where Palace were constantly shooting, were having huge chances, were insanely threatening from from various areas of the pitch. I mean, we even have Gehi running from his his own half at one yeah, point to yeah, dribble yeah. through and free <laughs> man was brilliant, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah, it was just crazy. You know, he's coming through as this extra man to just um, provide another option. And, you know, at one point I thought he was going to go at goal. We have Anderson shooting from distance. You know, it was, you could, you could go back and, and, and without any particular sense of structure or order, just look at various flashpoints in that sort of, that sort of second quarter of the game and, and just find player upon player that was contributing offensively. I mean, it was really encouraging to see all of the pressure. There was this five minute sp- spell where we had 77% of the ball. Um, and we're peppering them. Yeah. Um, it's quite hard to see what went wrong, but let's not let's not look at the second half because that's that's obviously <laughs> a problem for later. Um, obviously going into this game, it looked pretty strong. You know, there was there was obviously a lot of rationale behind it. I mean, when you look at the actual play itself, and this is a very long-winded way of me to get to this point. What did you actually make of how we played in that first bit? I think in the first half we were just uh, there was a little bit of like directness. It was, you know, you were picking up the ball and we were sort of driving at players. Like there was a couple of times with Dekure collecting the ball in midfield and then just sort of driving through the midfield, you know. N- normally, we'd be like, oh, you know, there was opportunities for him to pass the ball out to Elise on the right-hand side a couple of times in the first half. And instead, he just sort of took it inside and was direct with the ball. And I think that was the difference was that Tottenham plays such a wide system. You know, and we'll get into because I think that was the downfall in the game was, you know, the effectiveness that they had from being so wide and that we defend quite narrow. But in, in the first half, they were so they were so wide. And I think they addressed it at half time that, you know, they've got to be a little bit more conservative and that they were better at that. But yeah, there was just times where we just picked up the ball and we drove through the middle. And I think that was a bit that worked better for us in the first half. But no, I thoroughly enjoyed the first half. As you said, I don't really know what went wrong in the second. It was strange. I mean, I, I tweeted after the game, it was one of the strangest Palace collapses I've seen because, you know, I think, I think 4-0 and Vieira himself echoed this at full time. I think 4-0 masks over some of the quality that we did show at times. Yeah. Um, I think there were definite moments where I, I felt quite relaxed and assured and comfortable. And, you know, as a Palace fan, I'm sure both yourself and listeners will be more than aware it's not good to get your hopes up. It's not good for your health. Um, And unfortunately, I made the mistake of doing that. I was quite optimistic. I thought, you know, Spurs, you know, they they, they certainly, they play with a back five and they play with wing backs and at times have been accused of being too negative. I think negative was, well, it was anything but negative in the second half in particular. And I think they they really um, shut a few complaints up there. But that's, that's, again, we'll, we'll get there. Like, you know, I think Palace played incredibly positively and, even when we were under pressure, you could see when we got the ball back to our back line that there was instantly a, a desire at times to slow the tempo down and then to speed up when it mattered most. I, th- I think it wasn't just a case yeah. of um, trying to come in with a certain way of, of controlling the tempo. It was about that keyword control itself. It was about knowing when to speed up and slow down. And I think we did that really well at times. Um, I think Anderson in particular was a calm head at receiving the ball early on in phases of play and then um, being able to distribute effectively really showed. And like you say, Decore, I think, again, had a, aside from one moment where I thought he really gave the ball away sloppily really early <laughs> yeah. on and potentially played Son in. Um, you know, I thought he had, again, a very, very robust and commendable first half. Um, I mean, one thing I want to say about Decore, and this, this does kind of bleed into the second half too, but I, I noticed he had quite a few moments where he had a much more positive option on. Um, he had a much safer pass, a much more logical pass to make, but he kind of wanted to shoot from distance. Now, I will never fault someone for trying, I'll admit, but I think he was more bordering on the wasteful um, throughout the game, frankly. I think there were definitely moments where he made the wrong decision. I mean, it's something that, to a lesser degree, he's done in a lot of games this season. I mean, what do you, what do you think of that? I mean, I, like I say, I think it's a mixed bag, but I mean, I'm quite interested to get your, your, your thoughts on this. I mean, if I was a central midfielder playing behind, you know, a front four of, let's say, Zaha, Eze, Elise, and then Edouard at times, or are you in this case? I think, you know, with the amount of opportunities we have and then the inconsistency to take them, I'd be pretty frustrated and I'd probably take long pops too. So yeah. I don't blame him. It's out of frustration. You know, he's still adapting to the league, understanding how it all works. I personally think that he's slotted right in as one of our players of the season already this year. You know, I think when the games that he wasn't in, it pretty much showed that he is the hour clock of the clock, you know, <laughs> he makes a lot yeah. tick through it. So, uh, you know, 
he's young as well and I think that's the thing that we forget is that he, you know he's, he's still only what 21 22 something like that like the guy is so young and he does so much and he's such an exceptional footballer and you know will he be a footballer that's at the club probably you know for he will probably won't be here for too long but I think yeah there, there were times that he was getting a bit over too excited or there were times where you know we because we had plenty of corners and the corners would drop and you know, he'd he'd have the tendency to just try and try and shoot, and then sometimes he wouldn't, and he'd pass it back out to the wing, and we'd get across and waste that opportunity, just like every opportunity we ever make. So, but no, I I do agree. I I do agree that there were a few times that you know, it was tedious. That that's all it was. It was tedious. It was like, oh well, maybe there was a different option. No, completely. I mean, I think your frustration point's amazing. I mean, he he, as I'm sure all the players did, shared a frustration that. Um, was palpable throughout the ground. It was palpable in the way we were playing, and particularly when we were getting absolutely smashed. I mean, you know, I understand to up to a point why he's being speculative, but you know, even and again, I don't want to jump between games too much. But even in the Bournemouth game, there were definitely a few moments where he didn't really need to shoot, and yet, um, really made a long attempt. Um, ironically, if it were Eduard or someone like that, who I think is a fantastic footballer but takes one too many touches, then I would absolutely be saying like shoot more, be more speculative. Um, if you you know you yeah. are such a cliche, I'm, I'm I'm hating the fact that I'm even going to say this, but you do miss 100% <laughs> shots you don't take. I think you saw that one coming. Um, I hope you're rolling your eyes because I mean I am. I'm rolling my eyes on myself. <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> I cringed yeah, a little bit. I, I get used to it. It's all me. Um, no, like seriously though, I th- I think um I think as a as a, as a striker, I think it is important that you are threatening even in situations where you know perhaps the team isn't doing enough to actually drive that threat forward I think you have to kind of create things out of nothing a little bit and it's what the best strikers in the world do and I'm not expecting you know Eduard to be Haaland or Mbappe level or anything like that but I think it's it's a part of his game that he could work on a bit more Um, but nonetheless that's very much a separate issue Um, I ultimately yeah can't like you I agree I can't really blame Decore I just think um, there's a time and a place for it that became a bit more worth it as the game went on and you know, hindsight's a yeah, great definitely. thing. That, like, obviously, he missed them they, by quite by quite some distance. But equally, we saw Anderson <laughs> take a really lovely shot that that almost nestled in and took everyone by surprise. Um, no, it was inches. Oh, he's brilliant. I mean, I I genuinely think that you know, if you can pass a ball like him with with such precision, I mean, we stuck him on one free kick. Like, it's it's annoying. I'm having a bit of a brain freeze here without the notes. Like, um, I love Virgin Wi-Fi. I love Virgin Wi-Fi. There awful um anyway yeah so um i can't remember who it was against off the top of my head basically but he uh he was on a free kick and almost scored and again it was the same principle here i think if you could distribute the way you can i think you know you can shoot from distance as well and i think he really showed that but again yeah that's my anderson loving done for the day um yeah well let's try and not make it you know uh like a consistent thing with our centre-back shooting no you know (laughs) I think uh, I think Decore and Anderson first and foremost need to do their own jobs brilliantly which they do but I mean you know I think shooting is not their forte and I think we'll have to have to leave that to the ones who should be doing better frankly um but yes Palace threatening all over the pitch and came in at half time looking much the better team um Jamie Redknapp absolutely slammed Spurs for looking off it and switching off at moments where it mattered most for giving away set pieces and set plays cheaply for conceding shots too easily. Roy Keane very rightly lambasted, I think, Clement Longley for being more focused on getting out the way of Anderson's shot than putting himself on the line. I mean, Christian yeah. Romero, I mean, great player, genuinely great player, won the World Cup with Argentina. I, I couldn't work out how he had after that performance. I mean, Zaha had him on toast. No, I thought, he, I thought he'd had a very poor game. Um, it was really something, but... You know, I certainly, like as I as I hinted at earlier, felt pretty buzzed after that that first half. I mean, it was so encouraging. Um, and then that happened. That happened. Yeah, yeah, um, that happened. <laughs> genuinely, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I mean, I don't. I think a disaster is an understatement. Um, Palace got completely pumped. Think... The Palace got smashed up. Whatever a Palace pun you want to use, it happens because the Eagles were anything but soaring. Um. I think we were more sore than soaring, I think is what you could say. I'm rolling my eyes again. Why do I do this to ourselves? <laughs> um, apologies from me, everyone. Um, but yes, um, I mean, we don't just concede four goals. We concede pretty routinely throughout that second half. Um, starting on the 47th minute with Harry Kane, of course. Um, getting a, I think it's like a, even Paris, which I've, again, no notes. 
wouldn't you love it? All that work that goes in behind the scenes only to be eradicated by <laughs> those worth of Wi-Fi. But yeah, it was a, it was a brilliant cross in, and um, Kane very close range is able to bundle home past Gay and Guaita. Um, you know, we're talking we're talking like he is smack face in front of the goal. It's trademark Kane. It's what he does best. Um, he is a world class striker, and I'm not here to butter him up too much, but um, it was a classic um, right place, right time finish for me. Well, one of the most clinical strikers in world football. I mean, what do you make of it at the whole? What do you think Palace should have done better? It just goes back to consistency. At times at defending this year, you know, I think it's weird, but our defenders look more comfortable on the ball than they do off the ball. Very true. And their job is to to get paid thousands and thousands to defend off the ball. So it's it's a sticky one. I think that we're, you know, we're still transitioning into a possession-based football team. So I feel like obviously training might highlight being on the ball, you know, trying to keep the ball, moving the ball, blah, 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 and stuff like that. But it was just at times, I think if you look at Harry Kane's goal at the first time, I think, at the back post, no, no one looked over their shoulder. It was just ball watching, ball watching, ball watching, ball watching. And it's like if if one of the defenders just looks over their shoulder and sees Kane there, then they can back into him, not give him so much room to be able to get a leap on someone. I know it's it's a and, shame because uh, I like, think Gay he was at fault for quite a few of those goals. And it's actually again we know how much quality he's got, and he had a pretty strong first half, not just in of terms course. of going forward in that one moment, but actually, um, particularly when we were under pressure in those opening minutes, I think he closed things down really well and just gave a a kind of calmness and composure to our back line. Um, so again, yeah. it was very, it was very unfortunate that I think, yeah, like you say, he was completely caught out ball watching. Um, I don't think there was a lot in the in the laps between the cross and him and Kane actually getting there that Gay he could actually do. Um, I think it was going to be a struggle no. to actually res- to actually resist from such close range at that point. But nonetheless, um, he didn't really pick him up strongly enough, and I think Kane had too much space to actually manoeuvre in the first place. So there's more that could have been done in the build up to that certainly. Um, Take me through the uh, the rest of the goals because I mean there's so much to unpack for all of them. Um, even for Kane's second, I mean we see we see Gay on. I'm not going to just do your job for you, I promise. But um, you know Gay he again was was struggling to really pick up Kane in time, and you know Kane only he, we're not we're not dealing with a kind of championship striker here. We're dealing with someone who is elite, and um, you know he takes it first time and just just nestles it from a tight angle with almost surgical precision. Yeah. It makes it look easy. You have a yeah. split second to cut that out at this level. You know you're going to get punished if you don't do it with a against a striker of Kane's quality. I mean, what did you really make of that too? I think it's it, it, it's concentration, isn't it? I think when you've got a striker like Harry Kane, who's arguably probably one of the best poaching strikers yeah. ever. Um, I think he's shown that you know pretty much throughout. I would say the second half of his career. Um, but it's just. It, it, <laughs> It was defending, wasn't it? You know, the ball would come in from the side. We had Ward and Schlupp just in front, and it was just ball watching. It was Harry Kane was sat in a pocket, a giant pocket, may I say, right in the eighteen-yard box, and it's the worst thing that you'd want to do. It's something that they would have gone through out training the whole week. You know, do not give this guy the time and space in the eighteen-yard box, otherwise you will be punished. What happened? The ball had found it. The ball had found itself into his feet in the eighteen-yard box with you know four or five yards of space, and he puts it in the back of the net. So. It's, it's one of those ones where I think most of the goals, including the third, and I, I, I will be honest, I'd left by the fourth. You left by the fourth? <laughs> I'd left by the fourth. I'd left by the fourth. I was tired. I just wanted to go home. I didn't want to watch it anymore. So I can't run through the fourth. But it's the same with the third. You know, it's a ball at the back, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's a lapse of concentration. And I think the first goal, going back to the first goal, right? You know, the second half, the first half we'd gone in so positive. You know, like, oh, we're on the front foot. You know, we were so close to getting a goal. You know, at one moment, as you said, we had 70 plus possession, you know, for the, like the last whatever. And it's one of those ones where I think when you go in and you're so positive and then you come straight back out and, you know, we had a couple chances within the first couple minutes of the second half. And then it just suddenly, boom, out of nowhere. You're one nil down. And I think the immediate reaction from the players, it was just everyone was just like, well, how's this happened then? And then it's the mentality drops. And I think I think a thing that we lack, and I think it's something that we can discuss during this, is it's those experienced heads. You know, you've got players like Joel Ward, seasoned player. You know, you've got players like Zaha, seasoned player. But Wardy does his job as much as he can. You know, he's a great player. He's a mature, experienced player. But, you know, you've got players like Wilf as well. And I think it's something that Wilf needs to be slammed for, is he doesn't take that senior role as much as he should have. You know, we have to remember that the guy is 30 years old. You know, he's he's been at the club, what, for how long now? So it, 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 I think 
each after each and every single one of the goal, the players had just sort of shook their head, looked at each other, and went, "Well, how's that happened?" Rather than someone just, you know, like imagine James MacArthur was on the pitch, for example. MacArthur does this thing whenever we sort of like concede or something like that. He looks around and he starts trying to pick everyone up. And I, I just didn't see anyone do that. I didn't see that experienced head be like, "Well, boys, we're only one 0 down." Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like we can get straight back into this game. Like look at the players that we've got up front. No, Do you know what I mean? It's it's one of the most it's one of the most exciting forward lines in the Prem, in my opinion. And it probably is a little bit biased, but there's so much young talent there with proven talent in Wilf. So it's just there's there's a lack of experience, and I think that's what led to to the goals ultimately going in. Is that it, we we sort of crumbled a little bit, and and. Like I'll, I don't want to raffle on too much, but like uh, it's something that I noticed with um, the Tottenham shape. Obviously, with the five, I don't know if you noticed, but we tend to play super narrow at times because they played with Gill, Kane, and Son, and they played them as a three through the middle, which meant that only the back four that meant that one of the fullbacks had to come over all the time and that left the right right wing back or the left wing back to just have acres of space, like acres. Like the guy could have planted a whole farm, let it grow, and harvested it. By the time the other fullback had gone out that's to him, quote. do you get what I mean? That's so. a quote. I love that. Um, no, very true. I mean, I was actually going to raise that if you didn't. Um, I think you're right. You, you've really pinned down two things here. One is mentality, and two is tactics. Um, I think mentality is right. I mean, I was as shell shocked as the players were when that goal went in, considering how well we played. You know, we actually went on the offensive, and I think it was yeah. Jordan Ayew who had a really strong chance. Um, I mean, yeah. we're not talking about the one where he should have passed to Elise. Um, no, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll forget about, about that. Move on, he, move on, move on. That was silly. But, um, <laughs> we'll address that separately because I think it deserves its own little segment. Um, but but it yeah, does, he, had, he had another really good chance um, pretty much right on the, after the whistle. So, you know, it was a really, again, we came out the blocks pretty well and then got countered and they, they went one better and actually put it in the net. Um, you know, obviously, I think I, I saw that and it was a sort of, oh, for fuck's sake, classic Palace moment. You know, it was very much... Um, yeah. I felt a bit hurt, but not because... I don't believe Spurs have as much quality as us, much the opposite. I, I wasn't surprised that, that they scored in the manner that they did. I think it was more how well we played and how sustained our pressure was. It's just a shame that we buckled um, for the first time in the second half that they give it a bit, get, you know, they give us our own medicine, right? Um, it was such a yeah. shame in that sense. But I always assume that, um, and as you know, our bounce back ability, if we can call it that, has been brilliant this season. We're not... Um, we don't have a too too bad a record, particularly against uh, these kind of mid table, lower mid table teams that that have gone and uh, gone in front. You know, we have a really good record of bouncing back. No, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, we did the opposite. I think we we did exactly as you say. I think the mentality slumped. I think there was a lack of leadership. There was a lack of responsibility, and I think we didn't really recover yeah. in time in terms of a in terms of a team ethic from that first goal. Really. Um. Yeah, I just, I just, I just wanted to quickly add. I wanted to quickly add with that mentality. You know, obviously we've been very successful. Well, not very successful, but we've done well coming from yeah. behind. And I think what happens is that we've got a lot of young players in the team. And when you go one 0 down, you know, I think there's a weird sense of like relief off your shoulders in terms of right. Well, I've really got to try and play my football now. It's like it's a pressure, but it's a relief. It's like it, it, when you're at nil nil, everything's so tense. You know, and then when these players go one or down, it's like certainly when I play football, you know, I'm no professional footballer, but I think when most people go one or down, it's like you have a real desire sometimes to just try and like try and do something to create something because you get frustrated. Of course, and I think particularly when you're when you're a so, creative player, I think uh, like you say, there's there's an obviously an added pressure in that you're now losing, but at the same time, I think with that comes a freedom. I think there's a real yeah. freedom there to say, right, I have less to lose now by going out and taking risks by playing yeah. my own game. You, you kind of let the discipline go yeah. a bit and I think maybe we just let it go a bit too much at times and I think when you I think the bigger, uh, yeah, the bigger issue here was the tactical changes I think like you say we're used to playing narrow particularly as we've now sort of gone back to this 4-2-3-1 shape that's fairly dynamic in terms of positioning I think you need a narrow I mean we already play narrowly anyway but I think you need a narrow shape to facilitate that more easily otherwise you kind of risk getting stretched too much so I, I think it kind of um it got used against us. It was kind of reverse engineered at halftime, and I think Spurs were yeah. much more um, exploitative of their own kind of uh, their own width against us. Um, like you say, I think it, it, their own front three is quite fluid. So you know they they do play a kind of front three with wingers, but then they kind of often tuck behind the striker and kind of feed Kane. Yeah, and I think they did that really well again in terms of being able to not just break away in terms of a, of a front three and then a kind of a, a two and a one. 
But then, if this makes sense, I yeah. think you had uh, Hilton dropping in deeper, and then Son coming in as kind of like a um, like a second striker with yeah. Kane. So again, yeah. they they I themselves were really fluid, I think, in their front three, and I think that it meant they could overrun the midfield in the final third when it made sense to. They could kind of give extra headaches for our centre backs as they did, um, particularly for the third and fourth goal. I mean, that was more a case of being ran at. Um, you know, we didn't really cope with the intensity there. That wasn't so much a kind of a positional issue or um, the width being used, I think it was more to do with um, the amount of men they actually had to throw forward. Um, I think it really showed there. And again, for, for Doherty and, and Son, I think we really lack the ability to adapt in time and to keep our shape and yeah. kind of being led, led by their own pressure rather than kind of dictating our own tempo. So again, it really, really showed yeah, that. Yeah, it just, it almost felt like Tottenham came out of a dog-eat-dog mm. mentality. Do you know what I mean? In the second half, it was like, I don't know if you noticed, but every time the ball went out to wheel for Elise, it was it was either Perisic or Doherty, and they just slammed on him, just got right on their toes. And I think that's something that we're reluctant to do. And I just wanted to go back to the narrow shape kind of thing. Like Obviously, we switched to a 4-2-3-1. I think Eze feels much more comfortable sitting in that 10 role now. You know, I think that's where something that he should be playing. And when we were struggling with the one, uh, the one defensive midfielder and then the two central midfielders. But I actually think that formation would have been in a would have been a good time to have used in this game and my reasoning for it is that the one defensive midfielder would essentially allow us to then just try and drop into a five to defend and then you could sort of you know you could match up to the wing back no it's a very I mean. good point um you know to in that deeper so, role you can't do it all on his own but when there's less pressure on him no, to of course perform, not um in all departments going forward as well i think you know he can just then defend more more robustly he gets more kind of uh he gets more freedom of just course. to stick to his position, um, which I think would probably have helped us in that situation. So, yeah, completely. There's definitely an argument. Um, as it happens, though, I think, yeah, like you say, ultimately a mixture of um, inability to really deal with or perhaps even comprehend their, their, their kind of um, their tactical fluidity really cost us. And like you say, mentality, I think, played a role here, um, albeit I would argue to a much lesser degree. Um, one thing yeah. I really felt, though, is our depth... And I, I think there's a, now that we're obviously in January, and I believe this will be our first, uh, yeah, this is our first pod of the new year. So obviously the transfer window is open and um, obviously there's going to be a depth conversation here. I, I think our depth got exposed sorely here. Um, you know, the players that I think are new and are part of this rebuild that um, we're most likely to play. And I'm thinking here, with the exception of Will Hughes, I mean, you look at Chris Richards, you look at Matata, you look at Eduard. All of those were, were unavailable through fitness reasons. You know, I think you could obviously have put them on if you wanted to, and we've already seen the strikers on against Bournemouth, but you know, they're still kind of off it. Um, and I think when you lose yeah. that many players even to kind of a, a whole mixture of things, not just fitness, but sharpness as well, um, it means it's a real struggle to get back into games when you need that extra energy. Um, you look outside the first 11, there's not really a lot of quality that was... Um, ready for a full game. It's such a shame. Um, when you look at the bench, you know we had like young players on the bench, and it's 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 one of those ones where I am going to go back to Brighton, but you know, they played Evan Ferguson. You know, someone that's been in their academy for a long time, great player, will have a great career. As much as I don't want to say that, but you know, you played him and he scored. And he's young and he's not really had that opportunity. He takes that opportunity, and I think that there's a reluctancy to sort of use youth within Vieira but that's the sort of way that we're going in the club if you get what I mean so it does confuse me I feel like if you go one nil down two nil down then why not just try it like why not try it do you know what I mean because it so many times so many like I don't know if Mateta coming on was the right idea I can see what he was trying to do, you know, try and just be able to bully a little bit more, hold the ball up a little bit more. You know, we're going to go forward. We need someone to hold the ball. Uh, you know, it, it was going to work a little bit more comfortable. But th there's just times that, yeah, OK, right. Our depth isn't great. You know, I think in, in the transfer window, it's pretty obvious that we need to do some transfer business. But it seems like we're only going to do business through loans. And then the loans are going to have to try and have permanent deals in them for the summer just because of the finances. And I think it's going to be more experienced heads. I'm not saying players in their 30s, but it'll be players that are like 27, 28, 29. They've had a bit of experience, if you get what I mean. So, but it's just, I just felt like there were at times this season, and it's not even necessarily the Tottenham game, there's several games where it's just, there's a re reluctancy just to like turn around on the bench and just go, yeah, go on, you go try it. Do you know what I mean? And it, I feel bad for certain players. Like, I feel like Malcolm should have come on, maybe. I feel like that would have been a nice switch up, you know. But then again, it's, 
Oh, it's just, it's the, it's the age old question of like, right? Will we be better when Wilf goes, or will we sort of stagnate? And will the team, you know, do the thing that they normally do and go, oh, well, Wilf's not on the pitch, we can't win. You know, and I don't know. I think I think that's shifted. I think we are aware of the quality we've got, and I think when Zaha hasn't been in the team, we've um, held our own at times. Um, oh, it'll still it'll still be a huge loss, but that's that's again very much a different conversation. I, I think there is a. You know, I'm always a bit hesitant to put um, too much faith in our academy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of quality coming through, but I don't think we can see every kind of half decent or half promising player as a Premier League ready. Of course not. Of course um, not. But then it's all about opportunities, isn't it? And if you don't give them the opportunities, especially in a game where you know maybe even when we go through when we go three nil down what 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 is there to lose what is there to lose that you know i think well, i have to agree there to be fair i mean i think once you're three or four nil down it's it's quite clear you're not winning the that's game. exactly it and i think players are mature enough these days that you know they get enough mental health support and the mental well-being teams at football clubs now are just exceptional do you know what i mean like the employees that they have therapists all these sort of things that they can understand that you know they're going to come on and they've got nothing to lose you know they've got 20 minutes to just try and do something and if nothing happens they score a couple more goals and they're that you know they play 20 minutes in a game where they're going to lose four or five nil then i don't think it will impact players as much as the people think so i don't see see where the problem is because i think that you know it just it just made me think because I, I watched the Brighton game, blah blah blah. Evan Ferguson scores, and it's like right, well, it's just this kid that they gave a chance, and it happens with so many different teams. And it's like at Palace in recent times, unless there's been an injury and we've been forced into that situation, re Wambasaka and Tyreek Mitchell, it does seem like we are very reluctant to just be like, okay, we'll just give him twenty minutes. You know, we've got nothing to nothing to like lose in this situation. We'll always go to senior heads, and it's almost as if like. Vieira, for me, consistently since he's been here, as you said earlier in the pod, that there's a sense of loyalty to his players. And I think especially the starting 11, and I don't think he knows. I think he wants to just try something different, but then he has he has this massive sense of loyalty to certain players and certain players that I don't think should start in the starting 11, but he puts them there, if you get what I mean. I think fans are increasingly frustrated with where this reluctance is coming from. Because as you say, even I, you know, like I said, I even have my doubts about you know this kind of this kind of idea that you can throw an academy player on and they'll smash it instantly but equally you are right and i will never disagree with you on this fundamentally because fundamentally you know every great player was once an unknown in the academy that just got given of a course you know zaha coming on against cardiff changed the the, the, the course of this club's history for god's yeah. sake like it all starts from somewhere i just think we need to be careful not to assume that every player is no there. of but course again, not you're not of saying not. i i do hear you there was absolutely um a good reason to play youth here and to kind of give it a chance you know, I mean, I'm particularly thinking about Southampton. I mean, that's again another conversation. But I'm, I'm not, so, I, I'm not so fussed about the FA Cup in the way I probably should be. I'm going to cause a lot of controversy by saying I just don't care about it this year anymore. I think because of the performances we've had and uh, how less solid I feel in in terms of our squad. You know, I'd much rather we focus on the league at this stage. Um, but that's another that's another story. Um, you know, I I do want to see more youth and. Um, our recruitment policy is obviously built a bit around that, but I'm really interested to see what we actually do. Um, I do agree that I, I think we need players for the future, but I also think you know there is a kind of a, a youthful a youthfulness that is brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but it needs to be balanced out here. Um, our, our links are quite sensitive, but obviously you know we obviously tried to make a move really late in the window last time out for Gibraltar, and I'm seeing his name again. You know, there's a lot of talk about players like that where they're kind of in their mid to late twenties. They they they've got a lot of um a lot of fundamental quality, but also um a kind of experience and maturity, not just in their play, but I'm sure as, as characters as well. You mentioned mentality, and again, personality is such a big part of um development and also in terms of recruitment these days. You know, Palace are particularly good, I hear it. Um, actually getting a player's profile as a person. You know, how are they going? Yeah, to yeah, the it's a, What's their it's a big important like? factor. What's their philosophy? You know, it's like. I, it matters, like you say. It matters such a such a such a great deal now in football. And I think the youth players, particularly that are kind of knocking on the door, are all very much seasoned now in in the kind of highest levels of youth football. And they have a, a, a kind of strong professional mentality about them generally. Now, no player, two players are the same. No one's perfect. I don't expect that. But like you say, again, I think um, you know we're not we're not throwing sort of volatile Balotelli ass kids out. There. No, no, obviously sort of, not. No, they're not going to be bright talents that burn out quickly. You know, they're gonna they're gonna have um, a sensibleness about them. So I, you know, I really have high hopes still for our academy, even though, you know, I I still don't think that we have many players, if any, that are that are quite ready to to hold down Premier League spots yet. 
you know, I do want to just see more risk taken by this club in terms of its performance on the pitch, really. Um, I think Vieira is obviously to blame for some of this, but I still have full faith in him. And I, I think, you know, he, he's a decent workman. He's learning himself as a manager. He's still relatively inexperienced. But ultimately, I feel like you can only work with the tools you've of got. Course. And if you've got the uncertainty of an academy and no real backing in the market with the kind of glaring holes, particularly in midfield and at fullback, then, you know, what, what can he do up to a point? Of, of, of course he has to play Klein and Ward, you know, kind of one of them yeah. out of position and one of them who's probably not quite at the standard we need because he's got no other options. You know, there are no solid backup left-backs that, that naturally fill in. Well, you know, what midfielders do we have outside of, outside of Schlipp and Decoy? Well, Will Hughes, who he doesn't seem to really rate. I mean... Other than that, Luca and, and, and Gyro are, are on the out. They've been duds for a long time. Well, I, 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 um, I personally think that Gyro is a, a perfect option at left back. You know, there's times that he's played and he's, he's not, he's, he's, he's not, he's not looked out of place. Like, you know, we forget. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he played in European quarterfinal or semi-final or, or something similar to that for Ajax at 18. And I'm pretty sure he played left back or left centre back or something like that. Played in the Europa League. Yeah, finals. and I'm pretty sure it was left back. Pretty sure. Oh, it was centre back. So I think that I think Gyro is a is a weird thing at the club. He helps the youth. He helps a lot of the young players. And he's as you said with with Palace, we do identify personality big time. And I think personality is a big thing about Palace. And I think it stems throughout the whole club. Is that we've always had like this sense of community. You know, it's a family club. It's a proper family club. It probably hasn't felt so much recently, but I think that's just there's a few frustrations with fans and I think the club indirectly and the atmosphere recently and all that sort of stuff. But you know, everyone has their ups and downs. You know, um. But no, I I, I see personally. I, I thought Klein, he had a really stinky first half and I thought he had a stinky second half and I, I, I would have dragged him he off did. at half-time, put, yeah. put Wardy right back and then tried Gyro left back. And I, 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 I've never seen Gyro drop a stinky game. I've never seen him drop a bad game. Like a, a really bad game that warrants him not playing. I think whenever he plays, he's consistent. You know, he always finds a positive pass. If you watch him play, he always plays forward. He very rarely plays, plays backwards. And I think that that's something that we lack. I think that's and and this is what I mean. There's there's a reluctancy to go outside of Vieira's favourite children. You know, he has a favourite eleven. He has favourite players that sit on the bench, and it just feels like he uses them. And I think that that could be from ex- inexperience from management. You know, again, as you point, he's only, he, he's still learning his craft. You know, he might have been at a few clubs, but this is like probably his first proper big job. You know, where he's got a full project behind him, and it's just like. I think you know Nice comes close, but again, nothing of this scale. We no, are... of course not, because we're on such a we're on such a rebuild where he has so much to do, and it's like just the lack of using his resources, you know. And it's like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I understand it because it's it's not easy to piss off players you you fundamentally still believe in by kind of excluding them or leaving them out no, for periods course. of time, but. You know, like you say, I think there is a kind of a, a, a fundamental weakness in kind of not being able to rise above the crowd here, rise above the noise and say, what is the best 11 for this team right now? If he sincerely believes that the 11 that started against Bournemouth and Spurs is our best 11, if he really genuinely believes that, then so be it. I think everyone would disagree yeah, with yeah, him, yeah, but yeah. so be it. But even I don't believe that he thinks that. I think there are constraints in terms of fitness, but more importantly, I think there are style issues. I think that the the only thing I'll say about his kind of preferred eleven for these last few games is that all of them, however awkward, however strong, somewhat align with what we're trying yeah. to do. I think Hughes, again, a fantastic player. I want to see more of him, but he's not quite as pressy and pacey as some of the other options we have. He's quite slow. And I think for all his quality, and as much as I like him, I think that's something that will always be a kind of a black mark against him for the style of football that we're trying to play. I still think he's our best midfielder alongside Decore at the moment in that pivot, by the way. I really no, do of course. He's, he's not. Just, <laughs> Hughes is great at, at making that tackle and you know, causing the turnover. Do you know what I mean? He, he's great at that. And I think there were times last season that he showed it as well. But I just think that <laughs> I don't want to bash up too much. We did it in the last pod and, you know, Everyone does it all the time, but he just does have the best seat in the house, and I want to know how much he's paying Parish for it because it's just there's times <laughs> where it just feels all, and fans might get upset about this, but it it almost feels too much 
end like the end of Jason Punchin kind of era, you know, the last season, maybe last season and a half. Jason had lost his pace, you know, and he was getting old, fair enough. Great servant, love Jason. You know, thank you for everything he's done. But he just he sort of picked the ball up a couple of times and then would just do this weird little pirouette and then pass the ball backwards. And it, that schlup, that schlup right now is schlup is very reluctant to actually turn and go forward. You know, there's times where we've had great memories. You know, the game on Amazon against uh, is it, that was against Bournemouth, wasn't it? Where he just picked the ball up and drove through and stuff. Classic, and that's a classic. Yeah. That is classic schlup, but he just hasn't shown it. And I don't know whether it's a lack of confidence being played out of the position that he might want to play in. You know, I personally think that if we've got no left back, play schlup left back because at least he will he will he will get forward and he's got the pace to get forward. You know, and I think that's... Yeah, I mean, again, I think, like you say, Schlup is a brilliant option at times. And I think him and Ayu are brilliant from the bench. Ayu, by the way, I mean, it came out a while ago. I, I can't remember exactly where, but it came out a while ago from good sources that he'd obviously agreed a, a contract extension. So I'm sure we'll see him next season, of at the very least. Um, well, he's, a, he's a squad player. There's obviously, you know, I mean, the fans obviously have a lot of opinions on him. But I think, I mean, to be honest, if you look at the last couple of games, last two or three, he's... To be honest, he's he's not been bad. He's certainly not been amazing, but he's not been our worst performer. He's certainly been more threatening than I would have expected. He scored. He almost scored again. He should have passed to Elise, but again, we, we no, no. About that. I realise we don't even have time to talk about that. I mean, I'm more interested to talk about, just before yeah. we wrap up, about what you want to see from the window. Now, I'm not going to insult your intelligence or our listeners by saying that we need a midfielder and a right back. It's well established. Everyone agrees. I'm yeah. sure you're the same, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, one thing I've been hearing a lot about is the striker issue, and I have very strong opinions to push back on this, that people are saying we don't have a striker. No, we have we have three, maybe four options at striker. Two of them are out and out, and I, I absolutely think they're fine at full fitness. Um, I think they just need time to develop, you know? Agreed. They're Agreed. a bit older than, than some of our players, but, you know, they're still off Agreed. their prime by a while yet. You know, their finishing will obviously develop, and as will their positioning, their, their vision, their ability to make the right decision at the right time and, and so on. You know, I, I believe in Matata and Eduard for different reasons, but they, I still think they're both great options. I really don't believe no. we need a striker, but, I mean, I'm interested no, to I, See, I don't think that. we need... You know, Eduard's 24, Matata's 25. There's still, still players that are two, three years off. As you say, they've not been getting consistent game time. How can... Uh, being a striker is all about having confidence. When you pick the ball up, you know, the strikers just... If they're in confidence, if they have confidence, they'll just hit the ball. They won't think about it. And that's what they do best. They get paid every day to just go in and kick the, like, kick the ball at the goal and score goals, you know. And the, the, when you're high on confidence, you just do it instinctively. And I think at times, Edward's shown it this year that he yeah. can be very, very prolific on the ball. He can. And it, it, it's, as you said, there's, there's a, a lack of fitness there at the moment. That needs to get sorted. And then players need a run of games. You know, I think it's been a little bit harsh on Edward recently. I think, still think Edward's our best striker. I still think that we have options. You know, we can still put Wilf down the middle. Furthermore, going into the rest of the squad, I think fullbacks are definitely needed. I don't think Tyreek has any sort of competition. And I think him getting his England call up, whether or not, you know, he deserved it. He did deserve it. But, you know, if Chilwell and Shaw weren't injured, you know, be honest, he wasn't getting the call up. Um, but I think that that's his mentality. He's felt like he's got to the top. He doesn't really have any pressure. And you can't progress if you're not competing. And he's not competing for his space right now. You know, he's the first name on the team sheet because we've got no other left back. So I think a left back is a priority in the entire team. You know, a right back, Wardy and Klein will do their jobs. Klein, he probably won't get a contract extension. Wardy probably will, you know, just because he's a servant. He gets on well at the club, blah, blah, blah. We'll invest in a right back. We do need a right back. And I'd love to see someone like Josip Juranovic. You know, he's available on a free. I know there's a few clubs that are, you know, top six clubs that are apparently linked with him and stuff like that. But again, uh, you know what? He's, how old is Josip Juranovic? Like he's twenty-eight, something like that. He's twenty-seven. He's twenty-seven, and he's an experienced right back. Had a good World Cup. He's done very well at Celtic. I think he fits the mold. You know, relatively cheap, somewhere on the market of like seven, eight million, something like that. He's in his last year of his contract, sort of thing. And I, I think a right back is yeah. needed. I think a centre mid's needed, but the market is not cheap the world cup's just happened you know you're not going to get cheap you're not going to get a cheap midfielder and i don't think that there's very many cheap midfielders on the market and as 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 pa- no, yeah go on, right. go on i mean no no it's gonna, january is a funny market you know it's it's one of those where it is a seller's market fundamentally the only reason you're buying is if you've shat the bed oh, exactly. and you need someone to clean yep. up the sheets you know 
Um, it's, it's, it's a panic situation. Um, and I don't think, we're, as much as we're not in a panic situation, I think we that even just one of a midfielder or a right-back would tide us over. Of course. Both of them could transform us, and that would be all we would need to have a much more complete squad. You know, if if a if a sort of electric up and down right back did then get injured, you know Ward could do a job there. But you wouldn't be having many situations where you're looking at Klein and Ward playing the same game and so on. And like you say, Klein, good point. Um, you know, I don't. His whole the whole intention of having him was to basically just cover for first for Nathan Ferguson and now apparently Chris Richards as well. Um, while they both recover from injury yeah, and get back course. to full fitness. So, you know, he's a stopgap. He's a he's a sticky plaster and. Um, you know, I don't see that extension taking place. And like you say, midfielder is obviously very important. Um, Juranovic, again, I don't want to talk too much about too many links, but um, I watched him in his first year at Celtic when I, back when I was a sports writer. Yeah. I covered them for a period and, again, was thoroughly impressed. He, he is a superb attacking right back. You know, picked him up for a yes. very reasonable price from uh, Legio Vorsor and um, he was experienced at Europa League level. And again, I think he's been brilliant for Celtic. Great World Cup, all the rest of it. Um, I think he's shown his credentials that he deserves to have a have a chance at a higher level. And yeah, I would definitely take him. Whether that would happen, whether that's in the works, I really couldn't tell you. Um, I don't want to discuss specific links because I think we'll get onto that yeah. in the next episode in more detail. But it will very much be a, an interesting window and one in which I would hope to see at least one reinforcement in a significant position. Um, like I hinted at last time, I'd love to see someone like Chris Richards or Nathan Ferguson, dare I say him, don't want to jinx it with him, uh, coming through and actually kind of solving that problem right as it yeah. really gets bad. Um, but, you know, that's again a pipe dream. We have to kind of work with Yeah, the we have to be realistic. Way. I think we'll get two players in. I think there'll be loans and I think that there'll be a defender and it'll be a forward. And, you know... The clubs, obviously, with Butland, I won't go into it, but Butland's move is obviously pretty imminent. It will probably be done before the next pod goes out. Butland's on his way out. Bit of a weird one. Uh, understandable. He has got a clause for an extension for a year in his thing, so it seems like it'll be a six-month. We'll trigger the one year, and then th- that'll probably work. Um, it might be a year. I don't know. But he has got a, he has got an, a, a contract extension, apparently. Um, but it's just... Yeah, I think we'll see two players. I think we'll see two loans. You know, what we've still got two domestic loans and then you can have as many foreign loans as you want now or something, isn't it? I think law's changed or it might be the same that it was X amount. I think it's two foreign loans. There you go. So we've still got got four loans to move. But I think we'll see a domestic loan. I think think we'll see just two two domestic loans. I think six-month loans are very uncommon for foreign players unless there's a permanent deal in it and I think that's the deals that we're going to try and go for is is I think a lot of clubs do want to ship players out in January but they don't want to lose that you know that market value that they have so I think we'll work a couple of deals for a defender and a forward and I don't think we'll touch midfield unless something comes up that's very attractive so no exactly I think it would take a lot for that to happen and I, I certainly think um the fullback region whether that's at left back for competition or, or right back will be targeted um I really am interested to see how the window pans out. We're obviously, as you know, as and when we're recording, it's the 5th of January, so it's very much an open window. Um, not a lot of deals have been done yet, but of the ones that have in the Premier League, you know, even they haven't really started games or had the chance to integrate. So we're talking early doors here, but, you know, I'd like to see at least one incoming. I think just enough to shake up the squad or to, to actually sort of patch over a position that's been a problem yeah. for some time, which, of course, we both know. Like I say, I think if there was a pecking order, it would be the fullback area. Um, then midfield and then for a lot of fans I'm aware that the striker thing is still a concern I mean I I, again disagree but nonetheless I think it's an area that um, people will be considering so really interested to see what we do Um, I think something is needed I think that much is clear Um, and speaking of um, sort of band-aiding over things I mean on the whole I think it was a a pair of sort of Jekyll and Hyde games there Um, I have to say the Bournemouth game plastered over some real cracks that then came to the fore with Spurs and I think there was a and a kind of natural narrative that falls into place, but one that is wholly justified in um, how we played and performed. And, you know, I think there's been so many harsh lessons to take from these last few games that um, something will have to change, frankly. I'm not suggesting Vieira will go or anything stupid or, or crazy like that, you know, nothing too dramatic, but there will be a rethink. There will be a lot of conversations internally, both about what we yeah, do in the market yeah. to fix things, about how we get the most out of our players and, yeah, where we go from here. Um I expect to see changes, even just subtle ones, in terms of how Palace go forward from from here. 
I mean, what are your closing thoughts before I round off the pod? No, 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 just, you know, I've thoroughly enjoyed being here. <laughs> and, uh, Wait, yeah, no, like just, um, I was thinking you were miserable the whole time putting up my company, but here we go. <laughs> no, I, I just, I think that we're in a weird direction at the club at the moment. I don't think the club itself really knows where it wants to go, what it wants to do. I think, obviously, the main stand is holding up quite a lot with revenue and FFP and... You know, the finances, obviously all the news with Techstar seeming to uh, just spend money like it's water. Um, but then being like, oh, well, where's all this money here? So I think there's a lot of speculation at the club at the moment. But I'd just like to see one or two players come in, you know, put players on the edge of their seats a little bit. And I think we need that because I think we've got too many young players in the club at the moment that are too worried about, you know, oh, should I wear this or should I turn up to my training in my Lamborghini or my McLaren? Do you get what I mean? I think that we're just too relaxed. I think we've got too many young players that think that, especially going forward. So I'd just like to see a couple of experienced heads come in and just players that just want to play fucking football. Excuse my thing, but just th- that's it. That's all I want to see is I want to be want to put players that want to put in a, a hundred and ten percent, and I think that's all we want at Palace. That's all we've ever wanted from any player. It's just a hundred and ten percent, and I don't think we're getting that at the moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I'll, I'll close on um, that really has got me thinking. I feel like for the first time in, since Vieira took over, really, where we really got behind him and results started to improve after a few games, you know, we, we felt quite settled as a, as, a, as a club, as a community. That's got yeah. everything from the actual club itself, right down to the fans, to the squad and the coaching staff. You know, there was a real unity. There was a vision. There's a project. I still see the project. I, I don't think we're, we're completely drifting. I still think the club really believes in the fundamentals of Vieira, his style, um, and the whole rebuild. But... I think there's a bit of a kind of a watershed moment here. There's a kind of, you know, yeah. our, we've t- they've taken our heads to water and we're kind of looking back at ourselves thinking, what are we? It's very kind of like <laughs> yeah, a very yeah. wanky thing to say, but it's true. No, no, like no, yeah, no a, it's an, true. An introspective moment as a club. And, um, you know, I don't think we need to abandon anything. I, I don't think Vieira is a big problem. I don't think there's anything that's really fundamentally awful at the moment. I just think that there's a, a few questions that need to be asked on a game by game basis. and. Um, I think that there needs to be a rejig in terms of competition and the players' mentality. But ultimately, I still think you know we've got a we've got a squad, of, and what we have got, let's be honest, is a, is a, is a squad that's full of great personalities that is generally seems to be quite unified. You know, yeah. we're just transitioning, and I think we will ride that transition out. But at the moment, you know, there are holes that need to be addressed, and I think until that happens, we're going to have up too many ups and downs to be comfortable with. That's why we've got this kind of this kind of consternation, this uncertainty as a, as a club. We feel yeah. unsettled for the first time in quite a bit. And, you know, I'm just, I'm both excited and slightly scared to see as to where we go from here. What about you? I think that's every Palace fan. I think that no matter what we do, everyone's excited or scared. You know, we could win the Champions League and we'd still be scared. So it's just, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, it's, it's the club we are. We're so yo-yo, but we don't go down. We just keep going up or stay where we are. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's a roller coaster ride. And it's a very cliche thing for all Palace fans to say. But it's just, it, it is what it is. As you said, we are riding it out at the moment. And I think when you when the football's on every week, it's it's easy to forget the concept of time and how much things actually, like how long things actually take for them to, to work out. You know, you only get two transfers every season, like two transfer windows every season, but there's only actually so much that you can do in that time. You know, it's just, it's one of those ones where, as you said, the vision, the philosophy is there. We know the direction that we want to go in. But we've sort of got to the crossroads at the moment and there's a few options that we can go down and I think questions need to start being asked like, right, are we actually thinking about the right road that we want to go down or are Mm -hmm. we just looking at what seems the most appealing and how other clubs have done it? Do you know what I mean? So We have to kind of go our own way a bit, yeah. Yeah, we kind of have to, you know, we've always been a very unique club, you know, and, and I think that we have to really go in the direction of trying to keep that uniqueness. But developing into the modern game i think we're still a little bit behind you know i think that i know we don't like referencing it but like brighton we're very similar size club very similar size club but i just think that their recruitment and stuff like that they're a couple years ahead of us and that's the direction that we're heading in you know they're they're starting to buy players now for development they're not starting to buy players that are really for their first team do you know what i mean a lot of their players that come in can win you a scrabble game but it's like they're being used there for development and I think we're at the period now where we're a couple couple years behind a lot of teams that are sort of mid-table prem teams that are starting to try and we need to start buying 
three or four more first team players and then we can really start to start tapping into that potential market completely i i think there's a vision here but we have to play it play by play and until then we are fighting to keep our heads above water you know i wouldn't say we're in a relegation scrap we're not drowning but there is a kind of uh, a kind of a looking over of the shoulder that i'm still not quite comfortable with and i think until those gaps in the squad are filled i think it's going to be quite hard to move forward but I have to wrap it up there, I'm afraid, because we are quite over time, oh, course, but nonetheless, a very, course. very good chat about a whole load of issues. Quite a kind of uncertain note. Um, I was hoping for a more optimistic start and a, a sort of greater focus on Bournemouth, <laughs> to be honest. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I have to say, I think there was so much um, sort of a, a kind of low level of anxiety around the club that I felt it was just worth addressing. So um, that's a perfect time to say thank you very much again for joining us, Tucky. And again, um, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, good. Good to have you here as always. Um, as I say, this this for some of you may be the first time you're hearing Tucky, but um, we will be getting that extra pod out pretty soon. Um, like you say, you have to bear in, bear with us. We'll give a little disclaimer at the start, but you have to be aware of the timing. It will kind of throw you off if you're lucid listening every week. Um, but nonetheless, Tucky smashed his debut, and if this is his debut as well, then I'd say he smashed it again. So again, thank you very much oh, for coming on. Tucky. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, it's much appreciated. I always enjoy being on here. Well, I've only been on here twice, but I thoroughly enjoyed it twice. Two out of two. If only our strikers could score like that, that'd be fun. So, I mean, I'm prolific. Get me up front. Get, get Tucky up front. <laughs> we're going to get it going on Twitter. Promise, promise. Right. Um, no, I'd, I'd, I'd be like the, the, the boy mascot at halftime, the Tottenham one. Oh, someone, he skied it three oh. times, didn't he? I <laughs> he heard about it. I wasn't the game, it was I, beautiful. I it, it was yeah. beautiful. It was beautiful. No, anyway, we, should, we shouldn't bully. We shouldn't bully. We shouldn't bully. No, no, no. There are, there are... <laughs> nice one. There are 12. Um, yeah. <laughs> How's the quote go? It's gone out of my head now. Oh, I don't know. But well, no, it, it's FF2, been a total pleasure. Oh, yeah. No, it's been, it's been a total pleasure. I really enjoyed being on here. And uh, I'm, we'll, I'll probably try and get back on another one. If you have you are, back. We'll welcome any time. Um, right. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Your continued support is appreciated. Um, we're loving the feedback. And again, we've always got new ideas going forward. Um, we're always looking to recruit. And as you say, um, Tucky is going to be a regular fixture on this, hopefully. And we're obviously open to more of you joining, be that behind the scenes or with the, with the, um, the actual recording itself. So... Um, whether that's joining the team whether it's just leaving us a good review everything is appreciated um, we try and engage with as much as we can and you know even the smallest thing even just a, just a, a few stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to helps us a long way um, it really keeps us going and we've been delighted to see the early growth that we've seen um, 2023 is going to be a big year for us it's our year it's a massive cliche but we really believe in it um, we want to double down on this pod um, and hopefully you'll be seeing more of us soon. So once again, thank you very much for your continued support. Um, it means the world to us. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you and bye-bye. <laughs>